Please turn with me in your, in your copy of God's Word to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, beginning in verse 17. John chapter 11, beginning in verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Thus far the reading of God's word. Today there is um, an entire genre dedicated to dead things coming back to life. Movies about diseases and, and plagues that kill people. But somehow people, they end up coming back to life in the form of zombies and their forms are all disfigured. Their bones are falling all out of place. And then they end up terrorizing people that are alive. And our culture loves these kinds of movies and TV shows. And what makes these movies interesting is that we know that what is dead remains dead. And then what is alive remains alive until the appointed time for it to die. Now, our text provides a, an, an entirely different understanding of how people come back to life. John directs our attention to the one who raises the dead, the one who calls himself the resurrection and the life. And what he means is Jesus is the source of all creation and recreation. And he doesn't do a half job when resurrecting people. In chapter 11, chapter 11 is a mini preview, as it were. It's a little sneak peek of what it will be like on that final day when Jesus calls the dead to life and we will meet him in the air with our glorified bodies. This evening, John wants you to know this is a story about death, our great enemy, death. One, we know it's about death because, as commentators note, we are a week before the Passover in the book of John. If you remember the Passover, the night before Israel went out of Egypt, God sent the angel of death 
to strike down the firstborn in Egypt. But if you, were, if you were a Jew and you listened to God, if you spread the blood over your doorpost, then the angel of death passed by you. And secondly, we know it's about death because Mary, in verse 2, anointed Jesus with ointment and wipes his feet, anointing him for his death. In the Old Testament, anointing was typically associated with ritual sacrifice, associated with death, the killing of an animal. And then thirdly, Jesus is about to go into a place where he could potentially die. And his disciples don't want him to go there. Thomas says in verse 16, let us also go that we may die with him. And then on top of all of that, Lazarus is dead. And so this is a story about death. John tells the story like a movie when all the bad things happen right in the beginning, right up front. And you almost get overwhelmed with sadness. But that also means when the main character is victorious over the great enemy, it's that much better. And so the question of our text is, will Jesus, our main character, will he be victorious over death? He can reverse the effects of blindness. He can make the lame walk. He can cure people while they're alive. But what about when they're dead? Is death too powerful for him? Most people try to stay, stay as far away from death as possible. Death is that one enemy we don't mess around with, and that's why a popular phrase showed up a, years ago, uh, a few years ago. Maybe you've heard of it, YOLO. Now, YOLO stands for you only live once. And the idea is that because you only live once, you can live however you want. In other words, and this is our main point, what you think about death, what you think about the afterlife and what happens when you die, that will determine how you live life right now. That will, what you think about what happens when you die will determine how you live life right now. And so we get to verse 17 where we have a conversation between Jesus and Martha, and they're talking about death. Jesus, he comes to Bethany where Lazarus was, and by this time, Lazarus was dead for four days. By this time, the body started to smell, and there was no question whether Lazarus was dead. And so Mary and Martha, they've had time to process. They've, they've had time to think about what it means that Jesus was not there to, to prevent the death of their brother. You can imagine all the thoughts swirling around in their heads, maybe even some bitterness welling up in their hearts because Jesus was not there when they needed, when they needed him the most. And so we read in verse 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming to town, she went to meet with him, but Mary stayed at home. We're not told why Mary stayed at home. Maybe Mary was still grieving over her brother. Maybe she was just flat out upset and mad that Jesus was not there in time. We're not told why she remained at home, but Martha goes to Jesus. Martha wants to have a conversation with him. 
And there are two things I want us to notice about this conversation that Martha has with Jesus. First, her accusation, and then her acknowledgement. She begins with an accusation in verse 21. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I mean, you can almost hear the accusation in her voice. Lord, if you had been here. And there's almost an implicit question attached to it. Why were you not here? Lord, where were you? She doesn't begin with a greeting. She doesn't begin with, Lord, how are you doing? She doesn't say, Lord, why were you not here? She says, Lord, where were you? Why weren't you here? Now, remember, Martha was not around when Jesus talked with his disciples about him raising Lazarus from the dead. She wasn't there for that conversation. And so she doesn't know that Jesus is about to perform this miracle. Martha doesn't know what's about to happen. From her perspective, Jesus wasn't being caring. He wasn't being a good friend. From her perspective, Jesus had abandoned them when they needed him the most. And then he just decides to to show up late to the funeral. And how quick do we have that accusation. If he really cared about me, then he would have come through for me. He would have been there. And then when he doesn't come through for us in the way that we thought he would, we get disappointed. We, like Martha, can confuse what God is able to do with what God will do and what we want him to do. We think if God is able to do all things, then surely He would do this one thing that I want him to do. And if he doesn't do it, then we start to doubt if the omnipresent God is really present in our situation. But just because God can do all things, that doesn't mean that he will do what we want him to do, when we want him to do it, how we want him to do it. God is on his own time schedule. He, he's never early. He's never too late. God is always on time. He's an on-time God. And sometimes it's far better for you to wait and not get what you want because God has something better planned for you. Martha doesn't know Jesus was about to show up and reveal his glory. Martha didn't know he was about to glorify himself, and how different might she have reacted? How different might we react if we know that anything that God does is for his glory? He's working all for his glory, and that means it it has to be for our good. Because it doesn't glorify God to do his children wrong. Martha is not entirely unbelieving. She makes an accusation, but there's also an acknowledgement. Though she says, Lord, where were you? That assumes if Jesus had been there, he could have done something about it. And I want you to notice the faith in what she says. She acknowledges his power, that he can do anything. And that faith is carried over into verse 22 when, when Martha says, but even now, but even now, Those are profound and powerful words. You you ought to take them wherever you go. Remember Paul in Ephesians when he's talking about our depravity? 
and our being dead in sin. But then it's like he, he shifts his focus and says, but God. That's how we need to look at these words. That's how weighty they are. But even now, Lord, I'm crying myself to sleep. My, my pillow is wet with tears. But even now, Lord, I'm next to the hospital bed. But even now, Lord, I'm in the hospital bed. But even now. And Martha says, but even now I know whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. So in the midst of her trauma, in the midst of her disappointment, she knows it's ultimately up to God what will happen. Death for her is not the final word. If Jesus would just send up a word of prayer, then Martha knows Lazarus, her brother, would rise from the grave. And so my question for you today is, do you know that there is resurrection power in Jesus? That death is not the end of the story for you if you've placed your faith in Christ. So there's an accusation, there's acknowledgement, but there's also affirmation. Affirmation. Jesus responds to Martha in verse 23. He says, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, I know he will rise again on the last day. They both affirm the resurrection of the dead, that death is not the end. And during this time period, Jews were pretty divided over this issue. There were some who believed that there was no resurrection from the dead. And that group came to be known in the New Testament as the Sadducees. And then the group that affirmed the resurrection of the dead, they came to be known as the Pharisees. And the Jews find themselves in a culture where it was heavily influenced by Greek philosophy. And people believe that this external, physical, invisible world that is not as important as the invisible spiritual world. And so in that culture, if you believed that there would, there would be a resurrection from the dead, then people would look at you like you were crazy. They want to get out of their body. They don't want to be in their body forever. And so Paul says the resurrection is foundational to our faith. And that is a countercultural idea. In fact, if the resurrection is not true, then our faith is in vain. So Martha and Jesus affirm the resurrection of the dead. But Jesus puts flesh and bones on it, as it were. In other words, for him, the resurrection is not an abstract concept. It's not just an idea. But the resurrection is primarily about a person. And that's what Jesus is trying to get at. That's what he wants Martha to, to understand. That's what, why he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha had her attention on that future day when the dead would rise, when Christ would come back and, and call people out of the grave and we would receive new bodies, both the wicked and the people of God. That happens at the final day. But Jesus is saying that, the resurrection is right here and right now. It has broken into time and space, as it were. 
And it was steering her right in the faith. And the reality of the resurrection is experienced by every believer when they are regenerated, when they are made alive and given the gift of faith. That moment that you believe, that moment that you put your faith in Christ, that is resurrection power at work in you. Because you could not have done that on your own, could you? Jesus had to do that. He had to call you out of the grave. He had to make you alive. That's what we affirm with the doctrine of total depravity, that man can do no spiritual good. He cannot make himself be born again. It takes the regenerating work of God. God has to call us out of the grave. Regeneration, then, is the first fruit of the final resurrection that will happen when Christ returns. Jesus looks at the resurrection as a present reality and a future reality. It is both already and not yet, from two perspectives. And belief and faith are what hold the two together. On the one hand, he says in verse 25, Whoever believes in me, though he die... Yet shall he live. So here he's talking about that period from death and then what happens after death. There will be life after death. And then on the other hand, in verse 26, he says, Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And that's a reference to the moment you believe and then your entire life up into death. In other words, the point that he's making is that once you believe... You have eternal life in the fullest sense of the word. You have eternal life now. You have eternal life when you die. And you have eternal life even after you die. In a way, death for the believer is like birth. When the baby is in the womb, the baby is alive. No question about it. The baby is alive. It's in a state of life. But it doesn't know what the outside world will be like. And they, they press on the mother's stomach. That's the sign of life. Until finally, at some random point in time, the baby is born and then enters into another state of life. They go from life to life. But their experience of life in the womb is going to be different than their experience of life outside of the womb. Life outside of the womb will be more freeing. It will, it will be more full. And for the believer, that's what death is like. We have eternal life right now. No question about it. Then when we die, we will experience life to the fullest. We will be in another state of life that will be more freeing. And yet, it can be very easy to think of the resurrection as only a future reality, primarily as something that will happen in the future. And in one sense, that is true. Martha knew one day Lazarus would rise from the dead. But here Jesus wants us to know that the resurrection and eternal life are present realities for the believer. They become present realities when you encounter the resurrection and the life, and you place your faith in him. 
Think about what will happen on the last day when Jesus returns. The dead will be raised to life at the voice of Jesus. Those who are buried and in the grave will come out of the grave with new bodies and new life. The last day is also called Judgment Day, so there will be a judgment. And for the Christian, these are realities we are already experiencing right now. You've already heard the call of Jesus to come out of the grave, out of darkness and into life. And just like Lazarus was wrapped in grave clothes, Jesus says, come out of your sin that so easily entangles you, and put on the clothes that I will give you. Come be clothed in the very righteousness of God himself. He's breathed new life in you. And you might not have a new body right now. But the fact that you have a new heart. The fact that you have a new spirit in you. There is new life in you. That is evidence that one day you will have a new body. What about judgment day? Well, for the Christian judgment day is behind you. Judgment Day happened 2,000 years ago at the cross of Calvary when God the Father condemned his son to death. He judged him, and that is our Judgment Day. So, So that when Christ returns, it won't be a day of judgment. It will be a day of vindication. It will be declared what is already true of us, that you are justified that you are not condemned, that you stand before a holy God, perfect in his sight, not because of how good you are, but because of how good God is. And so what then shall we say to these things? Knowing death is not the final word, knowing that we are experiencing the reality of the resurrection right now. Well, that ought to lead us to hope, a hope that leads to joy because we know without a shadow of a doubt our greatest enemy our greatest foe has been defeated John John Owen has a very interesting title for one of his works he calls it the death of death and the death of Christ and what he means is Jesus put death to death by his death and resurrection and because death is dead we have hope And this hope is widely lacking in the world, isn't it? Mostly because many people don't believe anything happens when you die. Or when you talk to them, they'll have a belief of reincarnation or karma. And yet, what hope can you have if one day, when you die, you are turned into a plant? What hope can you have if one day, when you die you're stuck in this endless cycle of birth and rebirth. No, our our hearts have a deep longing for things to be made right. We long for justice. And yet we know as Christians, one day all will be made right. All the suffering you experience right now, all the trials, they are but a little time. They're, They're very short. There's a psalm that says, weeping may tarry for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And that's the reality of the resurrection. Our suffering in this life is not worthy to be compared with what will come. And so I ask you this evening, 
Where is your hope? Is your hope in this world, in this life? Is your hope in money and how comfortable you can be in this life? Maybe when you think about death, it just flat out scares you. Well, if that question scares you, then Jesus wants you to know it does not have to. Because if you come to him, if you would just come to him, the resurrection and the life, he will raise you on that last day. And even as a believer right now, he's coming for us. He is coming for us. And if you want to know what it means to have faith, what it means to come to Jesus, then it's quite simple. Martha says it in verse 27. Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. That's the profession of faith. Let's pray. Father, when we grieve in this life, we don't grieve as those without hope. Because we know one day we will rise. And Christ is coming for his bride. He's coming for his people. And so would you, by your spirit, ignite in us a passion for that day. I pray that we would meditate upon death. That our time on this earth is finite. As David says, teach us to number our days. And yet we know that when we die, we will not be condemned. We will forever be in your presence. And in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And yet we know that we don't have to wait to enjoy those pleasures and realities. We can do that right now. And so would you help us to do that? Help us to be thankful for regeneration. Help us to be thankful for the new life we have right now so that Christ will be glorified. In his name we pray. Amen.